Hello, Serie A fans, and welcome to another episode of the Tour of Football Analysis Serie A podcast. My name is Daniele Prog, and I am joined by football analyst Steve Coleman. What's going on, Steve? Yeah, morning. How are you going? Pretty good, and uh, happy to welcome again on the show professional center back for North Carolina FC, Alex Comzia. How are you doing, Alex? Doing great. Thanks for having me back. And uh, we also have the pleasure to be joined by EPL podcast host, Chris Mumford. How are you, Chris? Fabuloso. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Since the last time we talked last Tuesday, there have been 62 goals in 17 Serie A games. So this past week, if you tuned in on any game, on average, you would have seen 3.6 goals per game. It's funny because Serie A is supposed to be the most defensive league in Europe. And I remember reading about Cristiano Ronaldo telling Romelu Lukaku that Serie A is the hardest place to score in the world. So, Alex, why do you think that we are seeing all these goals in, uh, in Serie A right now? Right, Daniele, what's going on with our Italian defenders here, right? <laughs> but um, I don't know. Maybe it's a lack of reps, a lack of, you know, um, getting those high-quality reps in because training cannot replicate the same as a match. And these past three months, they've been doing all the training they can, um, these defenders. But you know, I don't necessarily think that you know, it's been at the highest level of pressure. Maybe there's something to be said also, the fact that there's no fans, the fact that they don't feel that pressure or that energy um, from the fan base. A lot of players have said that at that level, it's, it's massive for... Um, for concentration and motivation and energy, just general energy. And I don't know, maybe some, some of the goalkeeping as well has been suspect. Chris, what, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting because I think the other leagues, Bundesliga and EPL, uh, they've actually been more, the first weeks have been weeks of the defense. Uh, and just really striking that uh, in CDA, they're, they're bucking the trend. Uh, which is a whole lot of fun because, quite honestly, watching 0-0-1-1 games, as much as I love the tactical, it is nice to see um, some some um, balls being put in the net. So um, hard to say about that. Uh, keepers have been pretty uneven, quite candidly, I think, in City A. Uh, and I look forward to chatting more about that in a bit. Just admit, Chris, that you just like Serie A more than uh, than Premier League. <laughs> uh, you know something? I I am I'm falling in love quickly, even more with Serie A. So what about what about some of the goals though? We can talk all we want about defensive frailty, but some of the goals have been incredible, haven't they? Great point. Oh yeah, some screamers for sure. I am I just I can just mention um, Luis Muriel's brace this past oh, weekend against. Yeah. Udinese oh, Savage in the Atalanta Lazio game too, like the mm. curler against uh, against uh, Lecce or uh, yeah. Malinowski's bomb against Lazio in the, the same game that you mentioned, Alex. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at what happened over over this past week, and let's begin with uh, Saturday's game between Lazio and Fiorentina. Steve, why don't you unpack that game for us? Yeah, sure. Um, a game that had uh, lots for everyone, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get some opinions on VAR uh, some some point in the, in this one. Uh, but from a from a tactical point of view, it's a really fascinating uh, encounter uh, between two teams who played with a three five two system. Um, Fiorentina had a variation where they played with two number tens with a box in midfield with with Ribery and Garzal as the as the two tens. 
Um, and they look to try and overload that space around Parolo um, as Lazio's number six. Uh, Lazio continued, obviously, with Immobile at the top. Um, so they played Johnny Johnny and Lazari as their win-backs. Um, and Luis Alberto and Milinkovic-Savage, obviously, keys to them in, in midfield as well. So, um, tactically, I guess the interesting story of the game was the, the use of both teams' win-backs. And how they how they use them to create a platform for for each other's attacks. Um, so Lazio, for example, started with their wingbacks high and wide, um, trying to get them as high at the pitch as they possibly can, try and force Fiorentina back. Obviously, as we've discussed before, the the space in front and behind the wingback in in this system is 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 the potential weakness or strength of, of the side. So um, they struggled early to try and t- break Fiorentina down with that box in midfield. They obviously Fiorentina outnumbered them and. I don't know if you remember, there was a the early chance on the counter where when they played into midfield, uh, it was recovered and they played straight into Ribery to counter. Um, and those type of moments were were um, a feature of the early exchange between the between the two teams. The lack of connection between the back three and the wing backs caused Lazio a, a real issue in the, in the first period of play, probably the first 20 minutes or so. Um, from Fiorentina's perspective, they started much lower with their wing backs much flatter off. And they used them as a platform to invite the pressure from Lazio. They knew they were going to press hard the pitch. Um, and that was uh, geared around creating space for their two number 10s, Ribery and Garzel, to get on the ball in that central area. Um, so it was effective, especially when the wingbacks were able to get past their opposite numbers um, and drive into space and force Lazio players to make a decision whether they had to defend or whether they should drop off. Um, so Ribery's goal, I know you guys have got some thoughts around that, but it's a classic example of that. Um, Wingback receiving lower lower on the pitch, forcing Lazio to win back out, driving past the pressure, playing quickly into midfield, and then the ball in the channel where the, the centre back pressing um, has come from, and then obviously you end up with a fantastic finish, um, you know, inside the box. But the recovery runs of the back three and the, and the win backs are, are allowed Ribery to cut inside and finish. I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on that goal. I have some very strong thoughts about that. Uh, <laughs> Alex, why don't you why don't you go first? Uh, maybe it'll uh, my my uh, my temper. Steve uh, teed it up pretty well there. Yeah, uh, identical formations, and uh, in the first half especially, the key was was right out wide with the with the three in the back and the wing backs. And I thought Ribery exposed that very well uh, on the first goal. I mean, he I don't want to take anything away from Monsieur Franck Ribery. Like he's he is an absolute legend, amazing dribbler. 37 uh, years old. Still doing it. <laughs> oh, yes, still, sir. Still doing it. Um, probably could still maybe play for France, but anyways, that's, that's <laughs> a story. So if you look at the first goal, you know, the two defenders against him are in a good position initially to take the ball away from him for at least, I don't know, Patrick or Parolo, one of them to step a little bit closer to him and the other one to just shift and cover the space behind. But what ends up happening is they both go pretty much square to him. So he can do this sort of Iniesta shift and get through both of them, which is horrendous defending. They both bite at the same time, which allows him to have that space right immediately in behind them. So he does that successfully. Amazing skill. Again, don't want to take anything away from Monsieur Franck. Um, but then a Cherby, we talked about a Cherby last time. I think he's a little too deep, in my opinion. I think he should be a little higher. Frank does a simple, you know, fake shot. A Cherby turns his back, which is defending one-on-one. You cannot turn your back when someone does a fake shot or a fake cross. That is a no-no. And then, obviously, he makes a, it makes a fantastic finish. And uh, I would say that 
Strakosha, uh, Thomas Strakosha, Lazio's keeper, uh, was not guilty on the on that occasion. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I mean, the the truth is, is it, it, it almost felt more like a, a, a Sunday street match where he he splits the defenders, comes across the center back, uh, a Serbi who's who's a real deal makes that huge no-no. You do not show your rear end to a striker, right? Mm -hmm. You don't. Uh, and I really felt that Srikosha did not have much of a sight line as a result of that. And the fact that Ribery, instead of going to the far post, ends up slashing it across inside the near post, I just got the sense that Strakosha just didn't have the reaction time to do anything. He stuck in between the sticks in that low angle, um, I'll give you an example. A keeper that didn't do that, Dean Henderson, got uh, scored on last minute from Arsenal where he rushed out there and he paid the price. So I felt feel that Srikosha did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was let down by um, his defenders. And quite honestly, I'd pick the ball up out of the net and I'd walk right over to Serbe, push the ball into his chest and say, that's on you. You're not invited but until my next birthday party until you get three good blocks, <laughs> right? Because you got to call the person out when they make a mistake like that. That is a, that is a, a U14 mistake, uh, and, and, and it's just unforgivable. But, hey, I get it. It's fast. Everybody's tired and all that stuff. But that's just hard to see at the City I level, in my opinion. But Lazio was uh, was able to to come back from uh, from the one goal deficit. How did that play out, Steve? Yeah, so I thought the goal was actually a little bit against the run of play. Uh, to be fair, uh, that they'd started to to make some changes in the way they were using the ball and and how they used their their win backs and the back three. So they'd already started to cause Fiorentina a few problems. Um, so obviously, if you play with a box in midfield. Um, you play with two tens and two number sixes. Your 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 priority is obviously to, to to dominate the midfield with the ball, but without the ball, you're obviously trying to protect the central areas and force the ball into a, into a wide area. Um, now, Fiorentina are obviously trying to protect Luis Alberto and, and Milinkovic Savage in that midfield. Um, so, in the first instance, like I spoke about earlier, with Lazio trying to play very narrow into those two, they were able to protect and, and nick the ball a few times and counter, but. When they when Lazio split their centre backs a little bit wider and Bastos, especially on the left hand side here, was was re really key for this. He operated almost like a, a second wing back down the left hand side. Um, and when you play with one at the top and you have three at the back, obviously you have a, a double overload there, so you can you can obviously release one more into the next line. <clears throat> so Bastos a little bit little bit higher and wider now get, gave Ribery and, and Gazal a, re a real issue. You know, do you protect the, the centre-back as he drives beyond the box and, and goes around the outside to create a double-up? Or do you still try and deal with that and, and leave the, the central space open? So they kind of hedged their bets a little bit until half-time where Luis Alberto dropped a lot deeper to try and get on the ball, for example, and started to dictate the tempo a little bit more. But the, this flattening off of the midfield four and, and the box was a real impact in, in Luis Alberto, especially his dominance in the game. Um, obviously, if you stay narrow and you allow Bastos to go around the outside, then Lazio's um, left left wing back Johnny was able to cut inside and create an extra man in the top line, and and that caused caused a real issue for them as well in in, in that moment. So, the flexibility of Inzaghi and, and the ability to change it up on the run there was was really key to them getting a good fit in the game, and it actually led to 
not so much the first goal, which obviously we'll talk about it, uh, the VAR stuff, but the second goal especially was, was a real prime example of that where they split the box apart, able to play through the middle of the box into Alberto's feet. He got turned facing forwards and, and all of a sudden he's attacking with two high wing backs and obviously the front two in front of him and, and um, obviously he gets lucky with the one-two at the, at the end off the defender but the finish and and, uh, and the, the moment itself was created by their flexibility to to get round the box or flatten it off to, to be able to go through it. So, yeah, really interesting um, way of doing things from, from Lazio's perspective. Yeah, tell me more about the first goal because, yes, I do always side with the strikers but I also do think that it was a clear PK because... Uh, Caicedo was able to touch the ball uh, right before Dragoski uh, just crashed into him, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, t he touches it first, but he's on his way down, isn't he? So it's a difficult one. Um, don't know if it know, matters. Is there much, well, <laughs> is, there, is there much contact there? I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, for, for me, it's it's a borderline one. You see him given, you see him don't, but... Um, Yeah, it's it's certainly in the favour of, of the team needing the result, that's for sure. And Turin Mobile, yeah. an, another penalty kick goal. That's 11 out of 12 goals from the penalty kick spot. Um, 28 goals in 28 games. Immobile has uh, uh, the second best goal scoring frequency in Europe. Uh, he's uh, better only by Robert Lewandowski. And he scores every 85 minutes for Lazio. That's insane. I think that's awesome, but I got to tell you, that was not a PK. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm with when you, Chris. You when, his, when his legs come out from underneath him, from underneath his knees, before it hits the keeper, like eight inches before, I mean, he had one idea in mind. And look, I buy in, you've got cognitive bias. You're a striker. I've got cognitive bias. I'm a, I'm a goalkeeper. But I just got to tell you, video don't lie and it just mm. it, it it it's i can't I, it's hard to believe and, and i got to tell you something you know lasio needs to send a check to the referee uh retirement uh community because chris, chris don't talk about checks. The they're, they're hanging with you <laughs> chris don't talk about checks and referees in italy because the last time that happened it didn't go well it was 2006 and juventus got uh into real trouble there <laughs> alex back me up on this one Yeah, 100%. It's not a PK, but can we backtrack to the actual play? It's a pretty simple, direct long ball from the yeah. left side. And yeah. tell me how it's possible that Caicedo can take a touch with his chest and split three center backs just like that and then even get towards the goalkeeper. It's, it's just poor defending. Obviously, amazing touch. But they're all ball watching. And if you look back at it, I think what causes that goal, is, I think it's Milinko, Milinkovic's initial run to run in behind and create that space for Caicedo. And then that yeah. occupies the attention of all the center backs. They're like, oh my gosh, is it the ball going to pa get passed to him? No, it's not. By the time they already look back, the ball's being drilled in and Caicedo's taking it off his chest. It, sh it should never happen. You should take a, a sidestep, put your head in there, or at least when he takes the touch off his chest, block his path. But it should, it should never even get to the VAR, VAR decision, but regardless, it's not a PK. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a theme, that one. You know, Fiorentina defending a pass that they think is coming as opposed to the pass that actually comes. Like I spoke about earlier with the, with the midfield box, you know, do you defend the wide, the wide player? So second half, obviously, they took Bastos off and replaced him with Radu and more of the same on that side. But 
the box start defending very much so the the pass that they think is coming to the wide player when actually it goes inside and the same thing there they they track a runner that they think the ball's going to and it goes to somebody else it's a, yeah. a key thing for the game to be honest and uh, what about the second goal by uh, Luis Alberto who is the Serie A leader in assists but what about that one to the defender Steve <laughs> yeah yeah amazing like as I said earlier it's it's a real you know uh, if you go back and watch or you can read my article on it that's just come out on the uh, football analysis website you know the the goal is a is a prime example of of the process we've we've been through here where the ball goes in the middle of the box he, you know he gets Alberto gets facing forwards beyond beyond the last line of the midfield and now they've Fiorentina have got a real problem he obviously tries to find find the, the the main man in front of Goa Mobley. You know, he gets lucky with the with the bounce off the defender, but you know he, he's on his own in there because they've broken midfield completely, and you know it, they get the they get the luck and the bounce that that they perhaps deserve in the game. But it's a it's a great finish as well. I think at the near post, uh, hit with real power from not from not a lot of uh, backlift. What a what a classy player, Luis Alberto. Do you think he will uh, uh, Lazio will be able to keep him? In uh, for next year, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? He's certainly influential for them, and you'd almost almost say even if you just watch yesterday's game, they built they've built that attack around him. You know, they try and find him with the ball whenever they can. Inzaghi's given him the flexibility to drop in and get on the ball if he needs to. If he feels he can't get get the ball, he can push much higher, like he did with the second goal. You know, he, he has the freedom and flexibility to go wherever he likes to to dominate the game and. Can they keep hold of him? Well, if they win the league, I think I think that, that, that thing becomes a little bit easier. Champions League football, obviously, makes life a little bit easier to keep him. But, yeah, it's it'd be interesting to see um, whether they can or not when, when somebody bigger comes in. So let me ask this. Alex, I am convinced that City A players are watching a lot of NBA because those fast breaks look just like a, an NBA move, right? And it's the same sort of NBA defense as far as I'm concerned, uh, <laughs> namely not very much. To help me unpack what you thought of the defense. Uh, I, like, like a James uh, Harden? That specific goal? I mean, <laughs> just in general, yeah. I mean, we've talked about the fact that there have been more goals. Um, that's for sure. You know, maybe some of the reasons we've so spoke about that as well. But, I mean, that second Lazio goal, like you said, Steve, a 1-2 and the saddest part about that one too is that the left center back and the center center back are flat and it creates the angle for um, Alberto to just curl it on the ground. So I feel like it's just a lot of defending one-on-one Chris, like it's just back to basics. I don't know. I, I don't, I've never seen this type of, you know, simple errors in, in Serie A play. They're usually the, the, the best in terms of defending and in, in, in general, in general, But I don't know, maybe it's, like I said, just need more reps, you know, need to make these mistakes so that down the line, you know, they can, they can learn from it. But and it shouldn't happen. Honestly, it shouldn't happen at the highest level. Yeah, and, and it could be just fatigue, flat-out fatigue, right? But, Good. you know, it's, it would seem like the strikers would get just as fatigued as the defenders. Um, but I will tell you, from, from a goalkeeper perspective, uh, he was out on the six-yard line, um, right? So he cut off the angle. You know, I think his, his sight lines were obstructed because you could tell he seemed to make the dive a little bit late. Uh, and I, I think it's, you had that little deflection. He got, he kind of probably froze and to, to the credit, I mean, it was perfectly slotted just in, inside the, your post and you got to just say, Hey, I was at the right place, at the right time. 
I didn't get the sight line. That's, that's kind of life. Let me pick up the ball out of the net and let's, let's reset. Yeah. So Lazio yeah. won the game two to one and they're going to have to win every game, I would say, going forward, including the July 20, 20th game against uh, Juventus. Uh, they're currently standing four points behind uh, the Bianconeri. But uh, the other Rome-based team, I'm talking about Roma, did not have uh, quite uh, um, as good of a weekend. They played at San Siro against AC Milan. They lost two to nothing. Um, they both have uh, played with a 4-2-3-1 formation. Ibrahimovic was still missing among the Rossoneri with, uh, with a calf injury. Uh, so AC Milan played with uh, Rebic on top. Uh, Roma on top had uh, Edin Dzeko, who has uh, 14 goals so far in the season. And he also came off a, of a brace during the midweek game against uh, Sampdoria. The first half was, uh, was very balanced. There, uh, there were chances on both sides, but AC Milan was able to gain the upper hand during the second half. Roma looked a little tired. Uh, before we get into the goals, let's talk about what happened in minute 70 because Dzeko was subbed out for Nikola Kalinic. Now, uh, subbing out Dzeko, he's the, he was the captain. He scored a brace the previous game. He's such a big presence on top. What do you guys think about that move? I think that it really takes away confidence from, uh, from the teammates. I, you know, my, my take is they, he's been playing a lot of games, right? I mean, I, I just wonder if it's, it's preservation. I mean, we're going to be going through the first week of August, right, for City A. And it's just going to come down to how do I make sure my guys are not getting those soft tissue injuries? Uh, and maybe he wasn't – uh, maybe wasn't feeling the mojo. Um, that, that's what my quick take would be. Yeah, but I don't think it's coincidence that five minutes later, AC Milan was able to score um, the winning goal. So what happened at the 75th minute, Zap, uh, right back uh, Davide Zappacosta made a pass back. The pass got intercepted by Rebic, and, uh, who's, who showed once again to be a, a workaholic, really. He picked the ball up. Um, served it to Paqueta on the left side. The ball was delivered, and then uh, Rebic was able to uh, to finish it off after uh, a couple of attempts. But on that pass back, the guy intercepted. Uh, a, a Roma's midfielder, Brian Cristante, he had the chance to foul Rebic when the ball was still about 30 yards out from goal. So I'm asking you, Alex, uh, Cristante was not on a yellow card. Would you get mad at him for not fouling Rebic? Yeah, first of all, I would get mad at Zapacosta for the terrible back pass because clearly Milan was in possession. Or sorry, um, Roma was in possession. And you open up when you're in possession. You know, there's a lot more space. And then as soon as you lose the ball, you just have to collapse the space. So that's the first thing. It's a terrible pass that shouldn't happen at this level. The next thing is, yes, I would get mad. You should foul there. And the center back should also be stepping because it's Rebic against four, you know, four players. So there's, there's an art to fouling and there's an art to diving, as I'm sure you as an Italian uh, know a little bit about. But, um, but yeah, and in that moment, why not foul? Like you say, he doesn't have a yellow card. You know, defend the free kick. You know, I, I think it's at a distance that it's not going to be too much of a threat. Um, if, if you're in a bad position, if you're not goal side and you're not in the penalty box or right on top of the box – for me, you have to foul. Why would you not foul? Unless 
maybe you're on a yellow. Yeah, I think it's a, mis- it's just it's a, a game mistake not fouling yeah. there. And for me as a player, I've played against teams that love to foul high up the pitch as soon as they lose the ball, and it is so disruptive. I hate playing against those teams because your midfielders and your wingers and your forwards can't get into their groove of dribbling. As soon as they are, your best dribbler can't start dribbling because as soon as he tries to dribble, he gets yacked down. Mm-hmm. It is very disruptive. And, you know, there, like I said, there's an art to fouling and teams should probably use it more. In this case, 100% agree. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, in the 87th minute, Smalling fouled Theo Hernandez in the box. Hakan Chalnaglu scored a 2-0 from the spot. So basically this game tore down Roma's chances to make it to the Champions League. They are currently nine points below fourth place Atalanta. And guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like Atalanta is going to slow down anytime soon. And, uh, Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also, the game also allowed AC Milan to uh, take up that seventh place, which means uh, Europa League qualifying stage. They're currently standing three points below Napoli and three points above uh, Verona. So right now, these are AC Milan goals, like trying to get into the Europa League's qualifying stage. How, how much has changed from <laughs> 15 years ago? But uh, let's not get into that. Uh, <laughs> instead, let's get into some previews. So we have uh, two waves of games coming at us. One will be played uh, between Tuesday and Thursday, and one will be played over the weekend. And uh, let's highlight some of the key matchups, beginning with a big relegation battle between Lecce and Sampdoria. What do we got, Steve? Yeah, this is, uh, for me, the game of the weekend or the game of the week. Um, it's a real six-pointer to use a, a well, well-travelled um, uh, little quote there. I think Lecce and Sampa are two teams where it's going to be a, a, a pretty dull affair if you, if you just want to watch a game of football. But for me, it's, it's a real interesting battle. Lecce, they use a diamond in midfield for most of the season. They're the deepest team according to the passes per defensive action in the league. Um, so you couple that with their own third recoveries, um, that they're the deepest team in the league. But they also can see the most shots from the shortest distance in the league. I was going to say so they're the deepest to, yeah. team, but they yeah. considered eight goals in the past two games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's no coincidence that if you concede the most shots from the shortest distance, sooner or later, things are, things are going to unravel for you. Um, they give up the most touches inside the box in the league and they've conceded 32 goals inside the box to this date, um, which is a pretty damning statistic, um, which if they could change it, would, would change it quite, change the relegation battle quite quickly because they have the ability to score goals. You know, uh, Barring the last couple of games, I think they've scored 30, 34 goals so far this year. So they, they compete quite handily with, with the teams around them and above them uh, in terms of the goals scored. But... They certainly have their own style. Uh, they're the second longest uh, pass length of, of teams in the league, which which tells you what you need to know. So when you when you put that together with um, their low completions from deep uh, positions and the volume of longer passes during the game, you make a clear connection with direct play, um, second ball recoveries and shots from distance. Then because of those things, it makes them really vulnerable on the counter attack, and that's a real issue for them. So. You know, when they do have the ball, obviously, if you're going to defend deeper, you have to play longer um, 
from from deeper, uh, which if your team trying to get high up the pitch quickly causes a lot of kind of transitional moments. And and despite defending deeper when they don't have the ball, it, it creates a real issue for them um, in, in their transitional moments. So um, with Sampdoria, they've used four four two in in most of their games, so over half of their games actually, uh, with some little tactical changes. So they've changed into a diamond, for example. Um, in midfield, uh, they play with a box with the wide midfielders coming inside, uh, with the fullbacks running beyond them. So, so they're an interesting tactical team. As I spoke last week, they're the most underperforming team in the league, much to my disgust. As a as a secret fan of theirs from from way back in the day, um, but the impressive part of them is they lose uh, over half of their possessions in the opponent third of the pitch. So. When you put that together with the lowest lowest block in the league, you're, you're going to see a lot of interesting things from from a Sam perspective. Uh, but as I spoke about last week, they've scored only six goals in the first half of games so far this year. Um, so this meant they've had to play catch up a lot in the second half. So if Sam can go in level at half time, or they can even be in front, heaven forbid, they just score a goal in the first half, uh, then I think they win the game. But if Lecce Lecce are in front um, early, uh, then it's then it's probably a draw. But um, yeah, for me, Sam have got too much for Lecce, but whether whether that plays out or not uh, is anyone's guess at this stage with this relegation battle. Do you think? Away. Do you think we'll be able to see Fabio Quagliarella back on top, or do you think Ranieri will uh, will have to count again on uh, Federico Bonazzoli and uh, Manolo Gabbiadini? Well, let's hope so. Let's hope that that he can come back in the side. He's obviously a, a massive, massive part of their their attacking their attacking threat and. And they, he was a big miss um, in the game in the game last week. So uh, yeah, let's hope he can get back in the side. I haven't checked to be honest whether mm-hmm. where, what his status is, but um, yeah, let's hope he can get back in. Absolutely. Uh, and guys, on Thursday there is supposed to be probably the best game of uh, of the week. We're gonna have Atalanta against Napoli. The quality in this game is pretty high. What uh, should we expect, Steve? It's well, second second biggest game of the week, uh, apart from the relegation battle, depending on what end <laughs> of, the, of the league you're looking at. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's a, again another interesting one. There, there's goals in this um, for sure. Uh, it's it's three five two from Atalanta versus four three three from Napoli. Um, there's there's some interest about whether whether Gomez will play for Atalanta. Um, he's been listed in teams and out of teams um, so far in in the previews, but. He's got 14 assists and six goals from 27 games, so he's a, he's a massive part of the way Atalanta attack. Um, it's actually, looking through the through the info for the in the preview, um, Napoli actually are the most incisive team down the left hand side in all thirds of the league. Um, so they're above average in in all all positions on the pitch or down that left hand side. So Mario Rui um, is is massive for them down that side. Uh, clearly focused there. Insignia on that side as well is is a really important player for them, so that side of things is 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 really important. Rui likes to get forward, obviously, and create the width. So, but it's going to be an interesting matchup because Atalanta, for example, on the other side, so their right hand side in a direct matchup, are miles clear league leading wise in terms of the same categories down the right hand side. So, Toloi Malinowski and and Ilicic down that side have have been massive massive for them in terms of uh, how they build down the right hand side. How Atalanta use their wing backs to get high up the pitch and deliver balls into Zapata. Um, so it's so how they how that battle plays out. I think is going to be real key to to the game. But 
uh, goalkeepers, Chris. You know, how do you how do you see that situation? We spoke last week about uh, about the, the goalkeepers. Uh, they'll they'll have a big impact in this game for sure, won't they? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, my my take is is that that Atalanta, if if uh, if they're within thirty yards of the uh, goal, they're going to take a shot, right? I mean, it is it is a Houston Rockets type of offense uh, where they're going to go all over the place. Um, while is at Napoli, quite candidly, their offense is just doesn't have the numbers they're just not put uh so i suspect that um uh it could be actually fairly quiet uh if you are the um the atalanta uh defense uh unless you've got two or three breakaways uh which is kind of how i would see if napoli were to um upset it would probably be um one or two or three chances and um atalanta is, is sufficiently frustrated Stevie, it's interesting that you said that uh, Napoli is uh, very dangerous on the left side because looking at uh, Atalanta's game against Lazio, uh, if I were to play against Atalanta, I would say overload that right side because uh, I don't know if you remember the first goal, the own goal by Deron, as well as uh, other attacking plays by, by Lazio. Atalanta seemed pretty uh, vulnerable on the left side. Um, maybe uh, Gozens was having a bad day defensively. Um, but I, I do think that Kayon with those, if he plays with those runs behind the, mm. uh, behind the defensive line, he will be very dangerous. Has he proved this past weekend yeah. by scoring a goal right yeah. with that run? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, that they, like I've spoken about before with that, with the three, five, two, especially if you want to fly your fullbacks or your wingbacks forward, you're going to have, you're going to have issues defending in the, in the wide areas. So Napoli's use of the, the wide spaces, as we've spoken about before, when they played into, for example, you know, how they overload in those wide, those wide areas are going to cause Atalanta some real issues. Um, but uh, from, from my perspective, Alex, how, how do, how do, um, how do they deal with Zapata? Well, he's a, he's a beast. Absolutely. Um, what, oh, let's break down the goal he scored against Udinese. He spinned around the defender. The ball by Gomez was perfect just because, right, we were just talking about how not important Gomez is for the team. Uh, the ball by Gomez was, uh, was beautiful. and He took the first touch just on his right, across his, across his body, just enough so that he couldn't finish with his second touch. So um, I am a fan of his, but at the same time, you have Luis Muriel who comes in and just scores goals. He's got 15 goals. Um, Ilicic as well has 15. Zapata has 14. So uh, Gasperini can really play around uh, with, with his strikers the way he wants. Mm. Yeah. Um, Alex, how do you deal with him in the box? I mean, he scored two headers, didn't well, he, last week yeah. from, from wide areas? He's tough. If you get too tight, he can spin you. Um, obviously, he's a complete striker. He's a complete forward. And uh, against guys that are that can do a lot of different things, he's good with his left or his right. He's tricky with his movements, very athletic. It's, I don't have a specific answer. How do you deal with him? It's, <laughs> can you contain him, maybe get in his, his face early, let him know that you're there, and then maybe as he's coming to show for the ball, you act like you're going to step tight on him. And at the last second, maybe you peel off because he might be lost without your presence there. That's what I like to do with guys that are much fours that are much bigger than myself. What, what, about, what about with the smaller strikers? I'm not going to tell you that. Training, <laughs> training tomorrow is going to look a bit differently. But again, bigger, bigger forwards, 
if you're touch tight on them, they love it because they can feel you. They can grab your jersey. They can turn right or left. They can spin you, use your momentum against you, right? So what I like to do is touch, 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 maybe last second, make them feel lost. Oh my gosh, where is he? Where's the defender? And then try to jump in front of them, make the tackle. Smaller guys like Daniele, I just stick on them the whole time. It never works. It never works. Um. <laughs> talking, talking of the smaller guys, though, like what impact does Mertens have on this game, Danny? What, what, what can he bring to the party? Oh, let's begin by uh, talking about his beautiful chip. He did have a lot of time <laughs> in, the, in that goal that he scored against Spal, but what a, what a classic player. He plays as a nine, obviously false nine because of his stature. Um, he combines very well with Insigne. I love when those two five-five guys uh, make a link-up plays. Um, I would rather play him over over Milik at least to start with because it's more unpredictable. But then it depends on uh, how the game goes. If uh, um, if um, Atalanta is up and uh, Napoli is gonna need to put in crosses, then probably you're gonna want to to sub in Milik. Who's a, a as a big guy in the box, as a bigger presence, good with his head. Uh, but I think that Mertens shows that he is uh, he is uh, he's got a lot of quality. So I will start him to to just drive crazy the the three uh, Atalanta center backs. Mm. Um, yeah, for for me, if there's if there's one team right now that can outpass and outgun Atalanta, it's Napoli. Um, mm. I think they're in good form right now, and I think they win this game. It'll be high scoring. It could be. It could be three two. It could be eight seven. Who who knows? But I, I think it's. Um, I think <laughs> I think it's a, a Napoli win uh, from, okay. from my end. Wow, that's a big one, Steve. Away. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. But who cares whether it's away or at home now? There's no fans <laughs> in the stadium. It doesn't matter. But um, but I've not been too bad prediction wise. But I, I think Napoli win this one. Yeah. What do you think, Alex? I say two one. Two, okay. two one Napoli, and that's. Yeah, that's being humble for Atalanta because they, they just have that ability to score. I think it's going to be a really exciting game. It's going to be really open. And as a yeah. defender, it could be, uh, could be a nightmare, a game that you don't want to play in because you're going to get exposed 1v1. There's going to be moments that are going to be you know, in, the, in the highlights after the game. Players are going to come up to you and say, like, look, you did this wrong. You did that wrong in this one individual moment. So I'm really excited. Fair. And uh, on Saturday, there will be um, the Turin Derby, Juventus against uh, Torino. In the recent uh, seasons, it's always been a close game, no matter what the position of the two teams are in the table. I am curious to see if Torino will show up at Juventus Stadium with a 3-4-3 formation, which they have been employing lately, or uh, whether Moreno Longo will opt for a more defensive formation. For sure, Sarri will play a 4-3-3 with uh, Paolo Dybala uh, being very hot on top and uh, Ronaldo, and they will be probably accompanied by one between uh, Federico Bernardeschi or Douglas Costa. Juventus is struggling with injuries in the back, so Giorgio Chiellini and Meri De Miral are out, as well as fullbacks Mattia De Ciglio and Alexandro. So we should expect to see Danilo starting on the left side, but he's a right-footed defender. Um, so if that happens, Torino should really think about exploiting that potential weakness with uh, wingers uh, Simone Edera and uh, Alex Berenguer. There is also the possibility that Blaise Matuidi starts again as the uh, Juventus' uh, left fullback. I'm going to ask you, Alex, what would you prefer? Would you rather have Matuidi, so a left-footed 
reliable, hardworking midfielder yeah. on the as a left back, or have Danilo, a right back, playing on the left side? Uh, short answer: I would choose Matuidi in this moment. Uh, I like having left-footed players as a left back. I think it open up, opens up the field very well. Um, you know, as a left-footed player, they can take that touch and then fake that they're going to play down the line if it's not on, and then come inside. With Danilo, it would be a little more restricted because he would probably have to cut in with his right and put his head down and dribble. And as a defending team, that's what I want. So if I if Danilo's playing, I would steer the play, make sure he has the ball. As soon as he has the ball, we pounce and we steer him towards, you know, into into a position where he's putting his head down, he's dribbling. Boom, we collapse, take away his outlets. He's not going to play the ball down the line so the right back can cheat a little bit. Then again, Danilo's a good 1v1 defender, so I don't want to take anything away from him as well. It's, it's, it's not clearly Matuidi, mm-hmm. but I think Matuidi for me is, is the way to go. He's shown that he can play as a left back. You know, for France, he played as a left wing, but it was really kind of a left back at times. You know, so he's, he's good at that role. He can definitely play there, and he's solid defensively. He eats, eats up so much space as well. So I would choose Matuidi for sure. Very reliable for sure. We'll see what Sari opts for. Steve, what are some other uh, matchups that we should uh, look out for during this, uh, this upcoming week? Uh, there's a few you can gloss over pretty quickly. Um, but the, the other interesting one for me is Udinese-Roma. So Udinese are really struggling right now. Um, they're sinking quickly. Um, I think I would just say they haven't won in nine nine games now, which which is bringing them closer and closer to that relegation battle. And and teams around them, including Torino, have, have jumped over them with with wins in the past week or so. So um, this game becomes even more important if there's a winner in the Lecce Stamp game. Um, so if Roma win, it's a, it's a huge issue for Udinese. Can't see where their goals are coming from, um, apart from my favourite player Lasagna at the at the top. Um, so they've got the lowest XG per shot right now in the league, just 0.9 per effort, uh, which which is a real problem for them. Um, so yeah, if Roma if Roma can pick up the pieces from their defeat last week and, and turn them over again, I think you're going to find Udinese sliding further and further. They're currently 15th, um, 20 28 points. You know they're two off the two off the third relegation slot. But like I say, if Lecce, if Lecce win um, and people pick up points around them, they can slide very, very quickly into that, into that four. So that relegation battle has gone from, from probably eight to six now with Fiorentina and, and Torino maybe pulling away a little bit, but they, they'll need more points. But Udinese, Sampdoria, Genoa, Lecce are fighting for one spot now. It's, it's going to be a real, real fight to the end, I think. So yeah, keep your eyes on that one for sure. And you mentioned uh, Kevin Lasagna for Udinese. I think yeah. he's a very complete striker and uh, because he's a left-footed striker. But this past weekend, he showed that he can score with his right and with his yeah. head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's going to need to do a bit more for, it, for them to, to pull away or, or pick up points, uh, t- to be honest. Um, yeah, but yeah, he, he's, he's a man that can, can score goals for him, but they just need to supply him a lot, a lot more. Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, let's move on uh, to um, our section about quizzes. So, Steve and I, we both have some quizzes for you guys. Yeah. I'm going to let Steve kick us off with this. Oh, you want me to go first? Okay. Yes, um, so, mine's, mine's a little bit um, based around possession and um, my, my desire to see players, especially in midfield, play forwards whenever they can. So, 
Um, tell me, who do you think's got the highest pass count on average per game this year? I'm pretty sure it's Napoli, right? I would say Napoli. Yeah, so there's only two teams over 500 passes per game in the league. Napoli are top 538 passes per game on average. Juventus, 527 passes per game. They're the top two. Who's the worst? Uh, I don't know. Who do you think the worst is, Chris? <laughs> That's out of, out of my payroll. You know, I, I'm only focused <laughs> on the uh, defensive third. <laughs> man. So, Chris, who's the keeper with the fewest passes in the league? <laughs> <laughs> That that one's yeah, who, who do you think is at the bottom? Go ahead, Steve. Who who do you think's at the bottom? I, I'm gonna defer to Daniele on this one. This this <laughs> is <All right>. a, <laughs> uh teams that don't play very well. I don't know. I'm gonna go with the easy choice, like the team at the uh, teams at the bottom of the table, maybe Spal or uh I wouldn't say Genoa. I would say I don't know. You said that Lecce they, they tend to sit very deep. Does it mean mm. that they they don't pass a lot? <laughs> what is it? Okay, so so bottom of the table is Brescia. Okay. Um, with just 296 passes on average per game. That's boring. And 295 by Sandro Tonali, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're, so they're the, the, the comfortably the bottom of the league in terms of number of passes per game. So, Napoli are the highest pass count. Uh, the top two sides, them and Juventus, also play the shortest in terms of length and also provide the highest match tempo. So, match tempo is the amount of passes that are played per minute of possession. Those two are comfortably the highest in those three areas. However, when you look a little bit deeper, Napoli play 30% of their passes forwards. Juventus, 29%. Um. Now... You'd expect that to be, with the number of passes, you expect theirs to be the highest, but it's not in terms of percentage of, of forward passes per number of passes per game. So who do you think is the highest percentage of passes forwards in the league? Wow, okay. I'm going to have to think about it a little, a little more, but... I'm going to throw out Sassuolo. Sassuolo? Okay, interesting. <laughs> I'm going to say Hellas Verona then. <laughs> I don't know if you can see my screen, but you are out 100% correct. So, I am or Alex is? No, you are. So, what? So, Verona, Verona are the kings. Wow. So they have th 360 passes per game with 39% forward passes. Okay. And of those forward passes, they're at 77% completion. Of those forward passes, that's pretty good. So, in terms of in terms of pass count in relation to league position, they are comfortably higher up the pit, higher up the table. I'm telling you why um, I said Hellas Verona. So last week I did the match analysis for uh, Hellas Verona against Napoli, and mm -hmm. I focused. I really enjoyed how Hellas Verona was linking up with their uh, wing backs and uh, attacking mids, and so yeah. I just. I just thought, well, they. I feel like they they do pass a lot forward, and so. Um, yeah, and in their in their last game, they just played. Uh, there's so many games I'm struggling to remember who they played the last one, but they they scored a goal straight into the nine. The nine opened up one touch into the into the wide player crossed into the box goal. A, a classic example of their yeah. they're direct, but they're but they're creatively direct as opposed to just you know, playing long balls forward, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting. But just to give you some perspective around the league, so they're 39% forwards. Um, 
Brescia have the lowest pass count, 296, as I said, but 38% of their passes go forwards. Hmm. Um, I, I do think that their, their completion levels are much lower. Yeah, their completion levels are down at 70%. So that gives you an indication perhaps of, of the length of their pass. So mm-hmm. their average pass length is is just on 20 yards, which is which is quite high in the, in the league. Um, so so that's quite interesting in terms of it, they play forwards a lot, given the number of passes. But Atalanta, 32% forward passes. Milan, 32% forward passes. Interesting. So, so does, yeah, does, it mean, yeah. does it mean that Brescia doesn't pass a lot and the few passes that they make are long passes? Yeah, I think you could probably make that assumption without without yeah. going too deeply into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, my part of the quiz has to do with the recent news of uh, Barcelona trading Arthur for uh, um, Miralem Pjanic. Um, obviously, we're talking about Miralem Pjanic, uh, Juventus's holding midfielder. Here's a piece of trivia for you guys. So Pjanic will be the third guy to have played with both Messi and Ronaldo at a club level. Can you guys guess the other two? Oh, what a question. Pique. Okay, that's the easy one. He played, uh, <laughs> he played uh, for... Um, only, only club level, right? Only so club that, level. Okay. Pique. Pique. They played together at Man United? Yeah, yeah, there. Okay, where he was before uh, he moved to to Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. The other I, didn't, one? I didn't think they played. Okay, the yeah. other um, one is tough. It's a tough one. Yep, I don't know. Well, he must know. be. It. Oh, I was going to say he must be oh, Barcelona and oh. hint. Where's think about on. the 2006 Champions League uh, that was won by by Barcelona. Any guesses? Um, what about what about Silvino? No. Oh. Okay, this guy is a Celtic legend. Uh, Henrik Larsson. Oh yes, sir. Uh. <laughs> so he won the 2006 Champions League with Barca, and the following year he moved to Man U, and he won the yeah. Premier League with uh, Man U, and that's where um, he played with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. What a question! Wow, okay. Pianist would be the help, Chris. <laughs> no, I that that's again that's beyond my pay grade. I, I I am interested in talking about strength of schedule, where where I could ask you guys who who's got the the easiest and harder spots on the uh, on the run in. Okay, so uh, you guys have a guess at who's got the easiest run in uh, in the next, uh, let's say, nine or ten matches coming in. Whoever is not playing Atalanta. Are we talking? Yeah, are we talking about the top or the bottom? We're talking about the top this week. We'll get to the bottom next week. Okay. Right. Um, okay. So easiest run in terms of playing more teams who are placed below them. I will say let's break the league into four quartiles: uh, the top five, and then six through ten, eleven through fifteen, and then sixteen through twenty. Okay, relegation and, games could be tough. Yep. So, I uh, I think it's Inter. Inter. Okay. Anybody else have a guess? So I know that we still have to see Juventus against Lazio. So I'm just gonna um, exclude them. I'm gonna go with. Uh, uh, hopefully, AC Milan. <laughs> <laughs> So let, let, let me give you a little, little insight there, here, okay? So 
just as a reference point, uh, you obviously Juventus is four four points ahead of Lazio, uh, which is four points ahead of Inter, which is four points ahead of Atalanta. Nice and easy to remember, right? Okay. Of those four, believe it or not, Lazio has got the easiest um, schedule. Mm. They do have to play Juve, but keep in mind that Juve's got to play Atalante, La- Atalanta, Lazio, and Roma, oh, uh, which is – that. that's going to be three legit challenging match. And then, of course, that Titan, Milan, as well, that Juventus has to play. That other so, team. Um, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so that – and then, um, believe it or not, um, Roma have a pretty easy time at it. They do have to play Inter and Juve, but um, they do have um, some relative to the seven or eight teams uh, that are in the Champions and Europa League. As far as folks that are having the most difficult schedule, um, anybody want to take some quick guesses at that? Okay, I currently pulled it up, pulled up the schedule. <laughs> uh, he's cheating. He's cheating. I know, he's cheating. You know something, those strikers, you just you know they're going to be strikers. I'm going to kick them tomorrow in training for you guys. <laughs> Chris, I was going to say that teams like uh, Torino, Dinesa, if they end up having to uh, struggle, to fight, to not relegate, they're going to be very hard teams to play against. Udinese is a very physical team. Uh, they have yeah. structure. And if they are also motivated to not play in Serie B the following year, they're going to be like one of the hardest teams to play, as shown by uh, this past You know, game. I love that stat. Uh, I'm going to give you a stat from the EPL. None of the relegation uh, threatened teams won this week in the last two no. games in the EPL. Huh. So no. that's uh, – I, 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 I buy the kind of the – the old school logic on it, but I just don't know if it reflects reality. And there's a reason why they're at the bottom of the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who's for, got- from memory, from memory as well, Udinese got the hardest running of all the teams in that relegation battle. I did a yeah. piece a little while back on the relegation battle. And I think they play seven out of the 10 games against teams above them. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you the folks that have it the most difficult is your favorite AC Milan. They have to play Lazio, Juventus, Atalanta, not to mention, uh, Napoli and, and Parma. Um, so that, that's pretty challenging. And then um, Napoli have a tough go. Atalanta, Roma, Inter, and Lazio. Not to mention Milan, your favorite Milan and, and Parma. So, um, Very hard to play against. Yeah, so, so Napoli and Milan have it the toughest. Lazio uh, and, um, and, and Roma have, it, have the easiest run in. Now, you still got to show up and play the games, but uh, that's that's the way the schedule is right now. That's interesting because it will make uh, the title race even more interesting um, because Juventus may may drop some points, Lazio may close close the gap, and uh, I would love to see the title being decided at the last at the last match day. That would be that yeah. would be amazing. And, and that match you talked about between Lazio and Juventus may really be the. Can, that, that is the, the six-point game, right? I mean, so it'll be fascinating to see how that comes. And quite honestly, there's not a whole lot of drama going on in the other leagues, right? I mean, you could argue that Barca, the Barca-Real um, Madrid has still got some drama in it, but it ain't happening in the EPL, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> My heart's pumping for the, the Barca situation. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we'll, I'll keep you up to date on the uh, strength of schedule as, as, as the running continues. 
Thanks for that. And uh, well, that's it, guys, for today's Serial Show. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Steve, Alex, and Chris, for your perspective. So last week, we told you all to sit back and enjoy this week full of Serial Games. I don't think there is any need to restate that, given the entertainment that the league has been providing. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. Ciao.